1: After laying the foundation for a godly marriage found in the Holy Spirit, today we continue in Ephesians 5 verses 18 through 33 as we turn our attention to the role and responsibility of the husband. What is it that makes a godly marriage? Well, as we have seen, the Holy Spirit is a key component to all of this. Without Him, we simply can't have a godly marriage. But once that's established, where do we go from there? What are the practical outworkings of a godly marriage? Well, the Apostle Paul deals with that here in Ephesians 5, verses 18 through 35. Today, we'll turn our attention to the role and responsibility of the husband, We invite you to spend time with us today as we're exploring our series, What is a Godly Marriage? Once again, in Ephesians chapter 5, here's our teacher and pastor, Gary Wagner, with today's Abounding Grace. My message today does answer the
2: question, how is a husband to love his wife? Now, horizontal personal relationships are important. And the Bible says much about them, especially how husbands are to love their wives. But the significance and health of these relationships are inseparably bound up with a person's right and growing relationship with Jesus Christ. Let me put it concisely. The horizontal will not work without the vertical, and the vertical manifests itself in the horizontal. So the point is this, husbands, you won't and you cannot love your wife as you should unless you love first the Lord Jesus Christ. You will be a good husband only if you make the goal of your life loving Christ with all of your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and only then secondarily to love your wife as yourself. Listen to this quote by Pastor Martin Lloyd-Jones. The supreme thing always is to consider our Lord Jesus Christ. If a husband and a wife are together considering Him, you need, not have, you need have no worry about their relationship to each other. Our human relationships and affections and loves are cemented by our common love to Him. If both are living to Him and His glory and His praise, if both have uttermost in their minds the analogy of Christ and the church and what Christ has done for the church, that she might be redeemed and that they as individuals might become the children of God, if they are overwhelmed by that thought and governed by it, there will be no danger of their personal relationship meeting with disaster. The headship of the husband will be the same kind of headship as the headship of Christ over the church. He gave himself for her. He did for her. He nourishes and cherishes her life. He lives for her. He intercedes For her, his concern is that she will be glorious and spotless and blameless. He says that is the secret, that we are to ever be looking to Christ and realizing marriage is but a pale reflection of the relationship between Christ and his church." So the principle of success in marriage is this, says Lloyd-Jones, and he's really actually just quoting Scripture here. He says, "...that this mind be in you, which, is, which was also in Christ Jesus. Husbands, let every one of you, in particular, love his wife even as himself, and the wife see that she reverence her husband." Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. Now, let's talk, husbands, about how you are to love your wives. Let me begin with this short sentence. Without love, your marriage is not worth two cents. Now, that's no exaggeration. Just listen to what Paul said. If I speak with the tongues of men and angels, but do not have love, I have become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have the gift of prophecy and and know all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. And if I give all my possessions to feed the poor, and if I deliver my body to be burned, but do not have love, it profits me nothing. So then, without love, our marriages are noisy or chaotic and nothing and are of no profit. The immediate question then to ask is, how do we get love and how do we keep love in our marriages? The one who is primarily responsible for answering that question is the husband, not the wife. Now, why do I say that? I say it because the divinely revealed model and pattern for marriage is found in Ephesians 5 that we just read a few minutes ago. Remember I said last week that your marriage is a normal Christian marriage when the wife is the loving, submissive, encouraging helpmeet for her husband, and when the husband is a loving, self-sacrificing head of the wife. The reason for this is God's purpose for marriage. He wants your marriage to be a loving, moving picture of the relationship of love that exists between Jesus Christ and his church. In that highest of all human relationships, Jesus the bridegroom has taken the responsibility for the salvation and spiritual health of his bride, the church. He saved her from the guilt and the power of sin. He sanctifies and cleanses her from sin's pollution by the Holy Spirit and the Word of God. And in doing so, He brings her into an increasingly intimate fellowship with Him and He empowers her to be increasingly holy and blameless in this world. And this is what we husbands are to be, in the lives of our wives. Without this central element in our relationship with our wives, all of our fine houses, our fine cars, our nice clothes, our technological toys, our bank accounts, our financially secure futures mean absolutely nothing. So it is for these reasons that we say, that the primary responsibility for getting love and keeping love in your marriage, brothers, falls on the shoulders of the husbands, obviously, with the help of you dear wives. Because even though he is to be the picture of Christ, he is not Christ himself. So he needs a great amount of help from you. Now, the question that should be asked by all of us who are husbands and those who are to be husbands someday, if all I have just said is true, how does God want me to love my wife so that she blossoms in the sunshine of my love for her? And our text answers that question. Look at verse 25. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. Then look at verses 28 and 29. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church, because we are members of his body. So there's your answer. It couldn't be made any clearer. You and I are to love our wives just as Jesus Christ loves His church. So let's look at our text and see what it tells us about how Christ loves His church. The thing that we see right from the beginning is that Christ's love for us is a gracious love. Now the word grace can mean joy, so gracious can mean joyful. The word gracious can mean mannerly. And, of course, we are to love our wives joyfully and with good manners. But when I use the word gracious, I mean it in terms of Ephesians 2.8. By grace, you are saved. Grace is something unmerited. It is something undeserved. It is something we cannot earn. Jesus loves us, His church, not because we are worth it, not because we have done something to deserve it, but in spite of the fact we are worthless, He loves us. He loved us while we were yet sinners. In spite of everything that is within us, in spite of our unfaithfulness to Him, in spite of how we look, in spite of our complete unworthiness, Jesus loves us with a love that will not let us go. And husbands, you are to love your wives as Christ loves the church. Not only is Christ's love gracious, it is a self-sacrificing love. We as husbands are to love our wives in spite of everything sinful that we know about her. In spite of how many times they have made us mad or hurt our feelings or been insensitive toward us, in spite of what she does or does not deserve, you, dear husband, are to love her graciously, to be kind to her, to tenderly cherish her, to go do good things for her, to give her gifts to help her, to be affectionate with her, to be patient with her. Why? Because that's the way Jesus loves you. And you are to love her as he loves you. To say that Christ is self-sacrificing is to say that because he loved us even while we were yet sinners... And because he did not want us to perish in our sins, he gave himself up for his bride on the cross to accomplish our eternal salvation. No one forced him to do it. God didn't make him do it. He did it out of love. And as I said last week, Christ was not only willing to sacrifice himself for his bride, he did actually, in fact, sacrifice himself for her because he loved her so much. He was so devoted to her well-being and eternal security, so desirous that she be holy and blameless, that he laid down his life on the cross in her place. For her salvation. A husband's love for his wife will also be self-sacrificing. In that he will lay down his own wants. He'll lay down his own needs, his own conveniences for her benefit. His own well-being, security, happiness. He will be devoted to her as Jesus is devoted to us, devoted to serve her, not devoted to be served by her and to make her serve him, although, ladies, that should be the desire of your heart as well. He should be devoted to fill her, not devoted to her fulfilling him, devoted to minister her, not devoted to make her minister to him. Why? Because the Son of Man came not to be ministered to. He came not to be served. He came not to be fulfilled, but to minister and to serve and to fulfill and give up his life a ransom for many. And we husbands are to give ourselves to love our wives as Christ himself loves the church. Therefore, a husband every day dies to himself, for the sake of her happiness and her holiness. Christ's love, according to our text, is also a sanctifying love. Look at verses 26 and 27. It says that Christ loved and sacrificed himself for his church in order that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and blameless." So as Christ desires and is responsible for the sanctification of his beloved bride, so we as husbands should be desirous of the same because we are responsible for the sanctification of our beloved wives. And here's why, is why the importance of biblical doctrine is absolutely indispensable for living the Christian life and for being a faithful husband. If you have a small or confused understanding of the doctrines of God, men, you are not going to be the husband that you should be. And here's a clear example. Your love has got to be a sanctifying love for your wife. So do you know what sanctification is? Now, I didn't say your love has to be a justifying love toward your wife. I didn't say it has to be an adoptive love towards your wife. I didn't say that it has to be a regenerative love towards your wife. I said it has to be a sanctifying love. Do you have any idea what that means? Sanctification is not just for preachers. In fact, men, if that is your attitude, you will never be a godly husband. You have got to know theology to be a good husband husband. And you know that the three basic elements of the doctrine of sanctification are right here in our text. So you don't have to go off and read some dry text on systematic theology, although I think that's a good idea. Just read Ephesians 5. It tells us what the basis of sanctification is, the nature and meaning of sanctification, and the goal of sanctification in the life of the child of God. So what is its basis? Its basis is the death of Christ. Look at verse 25. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her that, or in order that, he might sanctify her. So sanctification is not just a doctrine, it is also a gracious blessing and experience that the Lord Jesus Christ wanted us to have so badly that he laid down his life on the cross so that we could have the gift and the blessing of sanctification. Without the death of Christ, we wouldn't be sanctified. But it is so important to him that you and I be sanctified that he died so that we would be. Now, what is the nature of sanctification? In other words, what am I talking about? Is it an act? Is it a process? Is it simply a declaration? When you are sanctified, is it something that happens once? Oh, yeah, I remember back in October 22nd, 1973, that I was sanctified once. Is that what it means? Well, let us look. Verses 26 and 27 that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the Word, that he might present to himself the church with all of her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and blameless. It is a wonderful process. It is a lifelong process. It is something that begins the moment you are born again. And the Holy Spirit of God and made you a new creature in Christ. And it doesn't stop until death, when upon death you are perfected in holiness. Sanctification is a process by which Jesus Christ uses His Word and His Holy Spirit to cleanse us, to sanctify us, to wash us. We need cleansing. We need washing. We are filthy. Before we were converted, before we were regenerated, we were totally depraved. We needed cleansing so that we would not be separated from our God because of our sin-stained heart. We needed cleansing from sin's guilt. We needed cleansing from sin's corruption and depravity. And the Lord Jesus Christ, by His Word and Spirit, cleanses us and makes us new creatures. And He gives us new hearts that are full of love for Him and a desire to obey Him. Sanctify means to set apart for a specific purpose, to make holy. When God saved you, He sanctified you from the rest of the world. He set you apart for his purposes. And now having set you apart, he is working in you by the Holy Spirit and through the study of his word to will and to do his good pleasure, shaping you more and more into the image of Christ and making you more and more holy and blameless as life goes on. Now, what is the goal of sanctification? What is the result of this whole sanctification process? Its basis is in the death of Christ. He is so anxious that you and I be holy and blameless that he died so that we would be. It is a process that goes on through life as the Holy Spirit works within us, cleansing, continuing to wash us and sanctify us and reshape us and make us more holy. Now, what is the objective that Jesus has in mind in this whole process of sanctification? It says in verse 27, that he might present to himself the church in all of her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. Now I want you to notice two things. His ultimate goal, goal is that she, the church, be without spot or wrinkle and that she be holy and blameless. Without spot or wrinkle. What do you think he's talking about? Well, I'm pretty sure. He's talking about the church's aging spots and the wrinkles around her eyes. He's talking about the physical body of the church. He's saying the goal of Jesus Christ for his church and this whole process of cleansing and of rebuilding her is that someday she'd be physically gorgeous, no wrinkles, no spots, nothing wrong with her that would make all of the Miss Universes look like hags compared to what you are going to look like as the church of the Lord Jesus Christ at the end of this process. No wrinkles, absolutely gorgeous in the eyes of Jesus, physically perfect and spiritually perfect, because you will be holy and without blame. No one can accuse you of anything on that day. You, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. The church will be without physical blemish, and it will be without spiritual blemish. The bride of the Lord Jesus Christ inside and out will be perfectly gorgeous in the eyes of the great bridegroom. And now I say all that not simply to give you a theology lesson, but to show you the practicality of theology. Your love for your wife, husbands, is to be a sanctifying love. It is to have, as Jesus uses your love for your wife, this kind of effect on her. Your prayer and mine should be that God would use our love for our wives to make them more beautiful inside and outside. A lot of times, it's the other way around, isn't it? Our our wives literally age more quickly because of our sinfulness and our stupidity. Many times our wives are ridden with worry and desperation and stress on the inside because of our wickedness and our stupidity. We must ask God to forgive us of these things and ask that our love be the opposite of maybe what it has been thus far and that it would cause her to blossom physically and spiritually as they see and hear our concern, that they grow in grace and in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ's love for his bride is a sanctifying love. And we are to love our wives as Christ loves the church.
1: Well, this has been Abounding Grace with our teacher and pastor, Gary Wagner, the Ministry of Reformed Heritage Church here in San Jose. As always, it's a delight spending time with you here in God's Word. And if today's program has been especially helpful to you, we'd love to hear about it. Would you take a moment and contact us? Let us know how the program is encouraging you in Christ. It would mean a great deal to us. From time to time, we'd like to know how the program is being used by God. And that would be a great gauge for us, a quick letter or a phone call. Here's how to contact us, 408-866-5607, that's our phone number, 408-866-5607, or you can write to us at PMB, that's PMB number 402, 1484 Pollard Road, Los Gatos, California. The zip code is 95032. Again, that's PMB for Post Mailbox, number 402, 1484 Pollard Road. Los Gatos, California, 95032 is the zip code. If you'd like to know more about Reformed Heritage Church of San Jose or Pastor Gary Wagner and Abounding Grace, you can visit our website, reformedheritage.org. That's reformedheritage.org. And leave us an email when you stop by. Let us know you paid us a visit. You're also welcome to, again, call. That phone number is 408-866-5607. If you'd like a copy of today's program, by the way, mention today's date when you contact us, and we'll get a copy out to you. The cost is $5, and any amount you send above and beyond cost of resource materials will go right back into the radio program, as this is a listener-supported ministry. We're able to continue our daily presence here on this station as you continue to support us financially and prayerfully. We appreciate your help in this endeavor. Thank you again. For further information, reformedheritage.org or 408-866-5607. Until next time, God bless.